Hey, hey, welcome back to the Mastering Mindfulness Institute podcast. I'm so excited. Today is going to be a really mind-blowing episode. Um, it always is when I talk with Britt Lefko. She's going to be a guest today on the podcast. So we're going to talk about why do sometimes we know so deeply, we know what we want. We're so internally motivated. But for some reason, it seems like we're just not doing it. Or there's something that's pulling us back. Or we have this inner resistance. And we're like, I don't know why I do that. And this is the question that we get to explore and dive deeper into this question today with Britt. Britt is a phenomenal mindset coach. She is the best I've ever met. Um, she actually works one-to-one -one in private coaching with entrepreneurs and really incredible people to help them get out of their own beliefs. I see Britt as like the secret weapon whenever I'm working with my clients and they kind of get stuck and they're like, man, I know what we're doing. I, I love what we're doing here. We were making so much progress and then I hit this resistance wall and I'm like, okay, this is time to call in my backup. This is time to call in Brit. She's incredible. She does amazing keynotes for huge organizations like uh, Facebook. Uh, she really focuses on that mind-body connection and really going deeper into understanding yourself. So I'm really excited to have her today. It's it's such a gift. Thank you, Brit. It's so amazing to have another just discussion with you. I'm always picking your brain or coaching with you or trying to understand as much as I can from you. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to chat with you. Yeah. So I do want to jump in to this topic today of like, I know what I want. Why can't I just have it? I know that you get these types of questions all the time, but do you want to tell me a little bit more about your philosophy before we jump into that question and how you work with people and what does that look like and why do you do what you do? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love that question because it really is like, that's, that's my passion. That's everything for me that we do know what we want, but the part of our brain that knows what we want is our prefrontal cortex. That's our logical, rational brain. That's our imaginative brain. Um, the part of our brain that actually runs our decision-making is a completely different part of the brain. That's our amygdala. That's our emotional brain. And so where we come into conflict is when our imaginative brain is like, Ooh, I want this. And that could be health. It could be, you know, I want to lose weight. It could be, I want to be more motivated, whatever that is. We know what we want, but the part of our brain that actually drives our decision-making power is our emotional brain and the belief systems that drive our amygdala are typically locked in by the age of seven. So I'm going to kind of paint you a picture here, right? Okay. So if you do a functional MRI scan of somebody kind of making decisions, what you find is that 95% of the brain activities in the amygdala. So if you have these belief systems, like in order to be worthwhile, I have to be achieving all the time. And then you go ahead and tell somebody, Hey, like you need to really focus on self-care they're like, yeah. And then their prefrontal cortex is like self-care, self-care, but then their decision-making is driven by the part of the brain. That's like, if I'm not achieving, I'm not worthwhile. I can't afford to self-care. I can't afford to do that because it puts my worth and value at risk. And this is all happening underneath the hood of the car. You can't see any mm. of it. So we're totally unaware that it's happening. And so, so often why we're not actually going after what we want is because we're in internal conflict, right? The part of our brain that's driving our decision-making actually wants something different than the part of our brain that knows better. And so that's the piece. It's like, we want it, but if your decision-making brain is either like, that's not safe, that's not okay. That's not a good idea. You need to be doing this other thing. Well, now we're stuck. So that's mm. what's really happening. And so where I come in is, I help clients, I help people to create a different set of belief systems in their amygdala, right? I do the work on shifting those belief systems in the amygdala so that they are in consistency, right? They have the same desires in their conscious brain and their subconscious brain so that we can think, feel, and behave consistently with what it is that we actually want. Mm, I've had so many people ask me, what is Brit's background? Where did she learn to be such like this mind belief surgeon? I know Raj always calls you. He's like, she goes in there and she does like this. It's almost like this belief surgery she does in the mind. It's incredible. This, this like skill that is mastery level that you would think would take somebody until they're the age of 60 to learn. So where did you master these skills? 
Yeah. So, um, right around the time I was born, my dad created a process to help people shift limiting beliefs. And that was his life work. And I grew up with this and I was like, Oh my God, this is the way to change the world. Right. Cause I can't pick a cause. Like if you pick in my mind, I'm like, if you pick a particular cause, what about everyone who that cause doesn't belong to? Like, how are you going to change the whole world? I'm like, what is the thing that weaves together every cause? Like that every group of people can, can benefit from. And for me, it was like, Oh, it was my dad's work. It was, it was mindset. If you can help people shift their limiting beliefs, then again, they get to act. And whether it's, poverty, whether it's the environment, whether it's, you know, success, whether it's building a business, whatever it is, it's like your, your mindset is the thing that determines how you think, feel and behave. And so when you can get that in alignment with your desires, you can, you know, in my mind, I'm like, Oh, wow, that's how you can have everything you want. And so I, you know, kind of worked with him my, my entire life, helping him, you know, kind of develop his processes. And um, <laughs> I just was always obsessed with it. And then at some point I, I really started to get curious around like, what's, what's my voice and what's my life's work. Cause obviously, you know, my dad's work was the foundation, but um, what I really got curious about is beyond just beliefs, like how do our beliefs impact our identity and how can the person we want to become instead of be, it being something that we build and work towards and work really hard at, it's like, how can we rescue those parts of ourselves using mindset work so that instead of becoming the person we want to become, we kind of find the person within ourselves that we've always wanted to become. Mm. And that's a question that I think has really been like, where all of my IP and my work really built, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants. My dad is the giant whose shoulders I will always stand on. But I think that's really where like my, my work got really clear, but I mean, yeah, I've been doing this work for over 20 years, which is crazy wow. that, you know, it's, it's just like a part of how my brain developed. I think it's really interesting. Like you opened up my eyes to the difference between a belief and truth. And there were things that I always thought were just truths about the world. And I didn't realize that these were actually beliefs. And there, it was kind of like a delusion. Like it was like, it was like this yeah. delusional or an illusion. Like it was kind of like this delusional view of the world that was really distorted that I think was holding me back in a lot of ways, whether it was around business or myself personally or my relationships or my health or whatever it was. I just saw them as truth. So how do you help people bring that to the surface so that they can differentiate between what is just a life truth or what is actually a hidden belief that you have, or how do we develop these beliefs and identify them so that we can be free? Yeah, I love that question. So the difference between a belief and a truth, I think a really helpful way to, to think about it is beliefs lack context. They're generalizations. And the world doesn't exist in generalizations. The world exists in context. So I'll give, you know, an example. Um, let's say that there's a, um, like a father and he had a really abusive father. And so he thinks that the way life is, is, you know, being a father is, is like it's this almost scary thing of like, what if I ruin my kid? And so now he, you know, his wife gets pregnant and he realizes that he's going to have a child and he's like, this is dangerous. And so he bails in his mind. That's just a fact because that's the way that his father was. The context is to say he went through a certain thing in his childhood. That doesn't mean that that's who he will become. And so we actually have a choice in how we behave once it comes to the surface that this isn't a fact. This is contextual. We say good, bad, right, wrong. Well, right, good, bad, right, wrong, lack context. You can say contextually in this particular environment, it is beneficial for me to behave this way. But in another environment, it might be beneficial to behave differently. Some people need tough love and some people need to really be validated and they need somebody to sit with them, right? And to be really compassionate and then they have breakthroughs. So to say there is a way, a belief is a generalization about the way things are. All people, all situations, all time, forever. And where our power source really comes from is in our ability to create context, right? It's understanding different relationships call for different ways of communicating, different ways of being, right? It's like in a different job, you need a different skill set. So to say in the workforce, you need to be this way, well, maybe you do in a particular role at a particular time, but that can change. And so I think the best way to distinguish between truth and belief are beliefs lack context. It's something that you believe is true in all situations for all time. And as soon as you can get that beliefs 
need context. You empower yourself to get really curious around what actually serves myself and the people around me in this situation. And then Hmm. we can call upon different parts of ourself and different ways of behaving to get a different outcome. Hmm. So would this be kind of an example of that? Like a lot of my clients, they're cons- they are they are so deeply, so deeply believe that what is truth is that they are someone who is bad at dieting. They struggle with dieting and that's just the way that it is. And they'll always struggle. And I think that we're start, we start to shift that to trying to create more possibility, right? And that that might not be truth. It might just be the past. Does that kind, is that an example of what you're talking about or a little bit different? It's actually a, a perfect example that okay. the context was you dieted with a particular mindset, with a particular support system, with a particular set of beliefs. So that was your experience. Yes, absolutely. If you grew up in Antarctica, you can expect it to be cold. If you moved to Hawaii at 19 years old, there's no reason to schlep around a jacket, right? So yes, that experience is real, that they did have a hard time with dieting. But again, those set of circumstances are unique to their past. So when they start working with you, I think where they get to contextualize is to say, Gina has a different way of doing this than I've ever done it before, right? I have a support system that's different than I ever have before in my work with Gina. And she's not just telling me to use my willpower, right? She's asking me to actually look at some of these underlying things, right? If you think about mindfulness, she's asking me to change my relationship to food. That's not the type of dieting that they've been doing up until this point. So to say I'm bad at dieting, well, Mm. in my past with the particular set of circumstances, my experience was dieting was challenging for me. Yeah, that's a fact. Does that tell me about your ability to lose weight in a completely different context? Of course not, right? We're changing the context. And I think one of the things that we forget is even within the time that these people were dieting, did they have a good day? Did they have one day where they did really well? Why can that not be a data point too? To be Mm. able to say that during certain times with certain mindsets, I actually really killed it at dieting. I did amazing. And then when certain things came up, right? I got triggered or I got overwhelmed or I didn't know how to handle it. So to say, yes, I noticed I'm actually amazing at dieting, but when I became overwhelmed, it hit up against certain things and I no longer was able to utilize my willpower from a neuroscience perspective. That makes a lot of sense to me. You were in your prefrontal cortex. Willpower lives in the prefrontal cortex. When you get triggered, you lose access frontal cortex and you're driven by your amygdala your amygdala willpower doesn't live there so of course Mm. you fell into old patterns and behaviors of Mm. course you were trying to self-soothe right so there's so many different things so this black and white if I'm good at it or bad I'm bad at it when you get that context the entire story changes it just keeps you in a box if you don't you're just stuck with this I'm just bad at it right Yeah. And it's like, who knows what's possible when you change the circumstances and the more you understand your belief systems and what's hard for you and what's easy for you, the more you can create a really personalized blueprint instead of saying, it's bad that I get overwhelmed saying, okay, the more I understand when I get overwhelmed and what makes me overwhelmed and what are the belief systems that drive the overwhelmed? Well, now I can create a personalized support, right. For me in these different ways. But like you said, you really, you miss that nuance when you say I'm good at it or bad at it. Yeah. So what's like some inner dialogue or experiences that you hear from people that you're kind of like, Oh, that's, that's a belief or that's a mindset. That's a limitation you're putting on, on yourself. What are some things that people could start looking for within themselves to start seeing, huh? What if this isn't truth? What if I'm actually just creating these limitations that are not necessary? Yeah. So look for words that are generalizations. I never, I always, I am, I can't, right? Those are the places where you're like, oh, I always do. Like I I always, or I never, right? You're making a generalization. We say, I am, I am this way. So anything that is a generalization is a belief. So if you think about around food, like I'm, I'm bad at is a really good one. I'm bad at dieting. I'm bad at losing weight. Um, I, I don't have willpower. Like I'm bad at willpower. Those are the types of things. The minute you say I'm bad at, you're in a belief. The minute you're in a generalization. So look for keywords, always, never, can't, bad at, 
Um, and those will be, those will be your key. And then you're like, Oh wait, hold on. That's a belief. Let's go a level deeper. So I would, I would imagine that a lot of people are wondering like, okay, so let's say I find this belief. Does that mean that I just switch and I'm all of a sudden I'm like, no, you're really good at this. And I'm encouraging myself and that's going to change my problem or what does it actually mean when we change our beliefs? Yeah. So, um, when you, so awareness, you know, gives you this kind of first step, being aware of your beliefs helps you to better understand why you you are the way you are, why you're behaving the way you're behaving, right? Going back to this idea, if I've tried to diet and I feel like it hasn't worked out for me now, I've created this identity of maybe like I'm undisciplined or I'm weak or I have no willpower, or I'm just, you know, I, I, this is just the way I am. And now, like you said, I'm in a box and stuck. And if I can start to realize it's not that I have no discipline, it's not that I have no willpower. It's that I have a belief, right. That I'm weak and that belief I'm weak has been driving me and is I'm weak, truly a fact. Now I can question, can I point to one moment in my life when I was strong? Can I point to one moment? I'm like, yeah, you know, when I went through something hard when I was 12, you know, I, I I was there for my mother. Or yeah, I can point to these. Now we start to change our story. If I look for evidence of the opposite being true, now my identity starts to shift. Does the problem immediately go away? No, because there's other beliefs and, you know, you're probably not a belief ninja and you probably don't know how to do this like really effectively in the beginning. But if you can start to practice becoming aware of your beliefs and then instead of pretending that they're not true, which we all know that doesn't work, right? It's like trying to do a positive affirmation. I'm good enough when you feel like a pile of crap, like right. really can can actually feel really awful, right? Right. Like, so it's, it's not about pretending it isn't true. Like, no, I'm amazing. It's like you try to fit, like, a, fit a triangle through a hole. Like I yeah. am enough. <laughs> yeah, I like, love myself. You're just yeah, like, like, trying to make it happen. Like, why doesn't this work? Yeah. Positive affirmations, I think can really often have the opposite effect because if we feel like we're lying to ourselves and it makes us <laughs> feel bad, but if we can really question the belief and say, this belief is me looking at a set of data points and missing out on the other data points. Like, let's go back to willpower to say like, I'm bad at dieting. Okay. Well, let's look how many days did you stick with a diet? How many hours did you stick with a diet? In within those hours or within those days, you actually showed unbelievable willpower. Something happened that that mm. willpower broke, right? Mm. Something got triggered where you lost access to your prefrontal cortex, which is where your willpower lives. And you got right inside of that fight, flight, freeze, right? Whatever was happening in your amygdala, that's what took away your, it wasn't that your willpower ran out. It was that you got triggered and you lost access to it. So the more we get curious around what are data points that make my story be contextual rather than the truth? It's not that it isn't real. It's not that you are the most amazing person with discipline ever, but let it be both, right? Yeah. That in certain contexts, I have a lot of willpower. In other contexts, I lose access to my willpower. Within certain contexts, right, I, I do feel really motivated. Within other contexts, I notice that I lose access to that motivation. So it's not so much about like turning on a light switch and getting rid of the problem or pretending the problem isn't there. It's creating context so you understand yourself better and then know how to reach out for support in the places that you need it, right? Mm. So especially let's say like someone is working with you. If someone has a better like idea of the landscape of their mind, they can say, Gina, these are the places that I I feel actually really strong and I feel mindful. I can sit with myself, but when X, Y, and Z comes up, I actually get really triggered. It's not that I'm bad at dieting. It's not that I don't know how to be mindful. It's not that I have no willpower that I'm weak, but these are the things that trigger me. And I really lose access to my ability to do these things really well. Like what insight do you have? What advice do you have? How can we set something up so that I can deal with this differently? Knowing the landscape of your mind allows you to start empowering yourself to mm. show up differently and to have a different self-talk because now we're beating ourselves up being like, why, what's wrong with me? I'm so stupid. I suck. Now we're probably more likely to punish ourselves by eating, saying I fell off the wagon. It's no use. I'm screwed. I'm never going to be able to do this. But if we don't have that internal dialogue, typically it doesn't feel like falling off the wagon. It just feels like tripping. You can trip and catch yourself. Mm. Falling off the wagon is what happens when we berate ourselves for tripping. Mm. That's amazing. I, I actually, what was so powerful in this example or what you're talking about was one of my clients 
for, she, we were working together for a while and she's like really motivated. She really wants to do all the things. And she kept saying to herself, like, I've gotten so far off track. I really, I need to lose weight. I've always struggled my whole life. So she's trying to do all the things. She's trying to meditate. She's trying to eat healthy. She's trying to start moving more. And she's just like mm. feeling overwhelming, overwhelmed in every week. It was like, she's like, ah, oh, I did some of them. I didn't do all of them. I'm really overwhelmed. And then I did all of it. And then I gave up. But her inner dialogue was this like, I've always struggled. I'm overweight. I'm unhealthy. I have to do this so that I can change, which was kind of like this. I feel like it was like this identity driven looking for all the ways that she struggles. And then I was like, yeah. you know what? Let's just pause like all of this chaos that's happening right now. And instead of setting all of these goals, instead, at the end of the day, all I want you to do is spend time journaling about how did what evidence did you find of how you took care of yourself, how you nurtured yourself. And instead of like this doing because I'm not healthy enough, I'm not good enough, which kind of I think created more of that I'm not enough, I struggle. Instead, she just started focusing on how do I find evidence that I'm healthy, that I'm fit, that I'm taking care of myself, that I'm nurturing myself. And it was like, it turned into like this snowball of momentum. It was incredible. Everything shifted from there. It became easy. Her attitude changed. I mean, and she's been going strong for like a year now because of that shift of building this like evidence of looking for the other side of the truth, which is what about when she doesn't struggle and just building it? And yeah. build, it was like a snowball. It was incredible. Yeah. That's it's such a beautiful story. And I, and I love that. And I think it really does show, right. That mindset is everything. And mindset is a set of stories, right? Our stories determine our mindset. We have a set of stories about who we are, how the world works, how food is. Some people have stories that food is like this monster that they have to like fight with, right? Mm. It's, it's just food and food doesn't have power until we give it power and the power comes from our stories, right? And if we have these stories, these generalizations about the truth, who we are and how things are, we get trapped and then we're fighting. And the goal is to just take away the fight. And it's, it's exactly what you said, Gina, that there's two different stories that you can tell that are total opposites with every single set of events. And I mean, for me, I'm always looking, right? It's like, there's infinite stories we can tell, but really getting all you need is two right? All you need is a story that shows you that the other story is not the truth. It's just one perspective. It's one way of looking at a set of data points. And I think a really important thing to note here is one of the things I see come up with clients a lot is expectations. And it's the expectation that the future is going to be like the past. Mm. The reason why we have that expectation is because our brain is a predictive engine. That's what our brain does. It predicts bases off of the pieces of data that it has. And that's really helpful when it comes to inanimate objects. If I'm driving, I need to know that the traffic light I'm looking at though it's not a traffic light I've seen before, I can guess that it's going to go right green, yellow, and red. That's the predictive nature of my brain, making sure that I can function in the world, right? Making sure that I can predict how things will be. The problem is predictions, just like beliefs lack context. So I want to go back to the example that if I grew up in Antarctica and I'm cold all the time, or if I grew up in Alaska and it's cold right through the winter, and now all of a sudden I move to Hawaii, my brain will tell me that if I don't have a sweater or in a jacket, I'm not safe. But I go out at night, Gina, don't forget the jacket, bring a hat and gloves. So you're at the beach, it's 85 and sunny, and your entire car is filled with jackets and sweaters and gloves. Like, <laughs> why do we do that? But it's because your brain doesn't know how to recontextualize on its own. Your brain doesn't actually know how to update that the reason why I was the way I was was because of these set of circumstances. And now that I'm working with Gina, now that I'm mastering mindfulness and in this completely different environment, of course, my expectations should switch. Uh, so you have to learn so we, new information. You have to learn Hawaii is hot, who are... You, yes. you need to experience it or you need to learn it in order to shift that. You need to recontextualize. Yeah. So that means in every new environment mm -hmm. to say, my beliefs are going to try to tell me that this is who I am and this is how things are going to be. But if I get really curious and say, how is my current environment different from my past environment? How are the circumstances different? How am I different? 
Mm. Now you're creating a new context, which will ultimately create a new expectation. And the expectation will drive our direction. If we expect to fail, we will create failure, right? If we expect to succeed, we will create success. And part of that is just commitment, Mm. right? If I'm committed to success and I trip, instead of saying, I fell off the wagon, I suck. Now I'm going to give up. If I trip, I'm like, I know what I'm committed to. I tripped. It's okay. I know that tripping is natural and normal. I know that it happens. Gina, I tripped. Help me. Help me get back on this horse. Like, how am I going to do this? So our expectations create our commitments if we're committed to failure or committed to success. And this doesn't mean we don't have roadblocks. It doesn't mean we don't have obstacles. But if we're committed to our success, we look at the roadblock and we're like, I need help. This is what happened. No big deal. Our entire internal dialogue will shift. So... What about, so you're talking about like, come on, get right back up again. You tripped, you fell. Why do so many people use shaming as a form of motivation? And does that work compared to, come on, you're doing great. Get back up. Yeah. So this one is, I think, a lot of where we start to understand our childhoods, that our parents, our primary caregivers absolutely did the best that they could, right? I don't know a single family who was given parenting courses, who in the early stages learned about early childhood development. I don't really know of parents who understand, again, the the neurological development of their children and how they function and how they determine their beliefs. We are stressed already most of the time. And then we have kids and of course, like that, that's going to add all of this pressure. So the, the way that we treat ourselves often is the way that our parents treat themselves treat each other and treat us. So the reason why we shame ourselves is because parents don't actually understand that during our early ages, we don't understand concepts like neat and tidy and quiet and respectful. And so to ask a kid to be clean is actually very confusing for them. And so parents get really frustrated. Why are your, I just tripped on your toys. They're on the floor. Like what's wrong with you? Why do you not listen to me? They don't think of that as shaming. But what actually is being internalized is why don't I know how to be who I'm supposed to be? I'm supposed to be someone who cleans up my toys and I'm not. There's something wrong with me. I'm bad. I'm not good enough. That's Hmm. just the way that the child mind interprets this type of feedback. And again, it's not that our parents are trying to shame us. But that's the way we internalize their feedback because the thing that they're telling us to do, we actually don't understand. We actually don't know how to do that. We can memorize a lot of the different things. Okay. My parents like this and they like that, but we don't understand the value behind it because that part of our brain hasn't actually started developing yet. We don't actually understand those types of abstractions. And so one of the reasons why, you know, we look at like, why am I the way I am today? Well, the way that we are today is the way that our parents not just treated us, but also the way they treated themselves. So if you have a mother or a father who's like, Oh, what's wrong with me? Why did I do that? that's what we mirror. That's what we see. Oh, this is how you're supposed to treat yourself. So that's why we shame ourselves. Like we don't grow up in an environment where when we make a mistake or fail, our parents know to sit down and be like, Hey, like, this is a really great learning opportunity. What did you learn from this experience? How did it feel when that happened? And to really debrief, I mean, they're busy. They're often working. They have to cook and clean and there's so much going on, but we're not actually given so often the tools to understand how to self-talk through these types Mm. of challenges in our life. Wow. That is so fascinating. It actually reminds me of this book I've been uh, listening to recently called The Five Personality Types. And they talk about how we develop different personality types based on, you know, experiences like that when we were young. And one of the examples he gave was that when we're little and we go through like the terrible twos, right, where the child starts acting out and rebelling and, and, and that all parents are like, oh, this is the hardest time. But during those terrible twos, what they're doing is they're realizing like, oh, I, I'm my own self. I'm my own being and yeah. I can have my own opinion and I can start to practice identifying with myself. So I need to go through that phase to know that I am different from who mom is. So they'll yeah. start acting out. And if the mother gets upset and is like shaming the child for their acting out, then all of a sudden they think that me being my own person is wrong, that what I did was bad. And they start shaming themselves for that individuation that they're that process they're supposed to be going through. And so they end up growing up, not fully trusting in who they are and shaming themselves and kind of using that as motivation to try and grow or achieve things. But that's in that phase. I thought that was so interesting. 
Yeah, there's, I feel like there's two really key things in what you said. The first one is the word individuation, right? We go through an individuation where we start to understand and question and create the person that we're becoming. And what we often are met with is it's too loud. It's too much. It's not okay. It's not what I want. And then we create self-doubt. And I think the biggest challenge that I see with clients is the ways in which we lack self-trust. And the reason why we lack that self-trust is because when we are upset or annoyed or trying to do things our way, we're either told it's not the right way, which the right way, it's not the right way. It's not our parents' way. It's, <laughs> make it, it's our way, right? It's not right or wrong. It's our way. And our parents don't like it, that it's not their way, but we're not empowered to understand it actually is our way. And our way is a part of us becoming the person we're going to become. It's really important to do things differently than your parents, right? That's a part of that individuation process. And so understanding that all of those places where we met up against resistance, we weren't bad or wrong, we were just different from the way that they wanted things done. But again, we were learning and developing our way and who we are. And it's such an important part of the process. And I think that, you know, just parents so often ask, like, you know, if there's one thing you can say about parenting, what is it? And in my, in my personal opinion, it's help support your kids to trust themselves because that is the foundation of who they become. And one of the ways you can help them to trust them, themselves, right, is by validating that what they think and what they feel is true. Now, that doesn't mean they always get their way, but if they say, I'm angry, right? It's like, no, you're not. If you're not angry, like that, you know, or stop making a big deal. But if we can just mirror back, yes, you are angry. You're so angry right now and give them a minute, right, to be angry, they still might need to do the chore. They still might need to be quiet, but it's validating that what they think and what they feel is real, right? It's like, but I want to do it this way. And it's like, not that it's the wrong way. It's yes, you do want to do it this way. This way is your way. And this way makes sense. In this particular case, we need to do it mom's way or dad's way, not because mom or dad's way is better or right, but because that's how we need to do it. So when mm. you can start to start to articulate, right? Yes, that is your way. Yes, you do want that. Yes, you are angry, right? Yes, that's true. That is how you think. That is how you feel. And again, in this particular case, we're going to do it mom's way. And you can right find your kind of language and your way of doing that, but developing that self-trust. And so to kind of bring that back to how we behave today in the places we doubt, in the places we judge, in the places we shame, to really understand the way we're doing it is not bad. We just learned that it was. And if we can really start to shift our internal dialogue to go back and, and to look at the data points of the past and say, you know what, I was kind of strong-willed as a kid. Like, that's beautiful. I was really fighting for my way. How can I honor that by really getting curious about what is my way that I don't have to do things the way everyone else does them? And I think that's also a lot of why dieting doesn't often work for people is they're trying to fit someone else's mold instead of being really curious around how do I function? What do I need? What motivates me? What makes me feel like I actually really diminish my, my feelings of momentum, right? Getting again, the word curious, I think is so important in this process. Mm. So you talked about with kids, with raising kids to be able to support them and trusting their feelings in adults today, how does that show up if they didn't trust themselves or they're shaming themselves or what, how can they like see that, that they're experiencing that limitation? And I asked that question because a lot of my clients, they've been so, their inner dialogue is just so automatic. They never even questioned it. And then they start paying more attention and they're like, wow, I realized that I'm not actually elevating myself. I'm like beating myself down. Um, we kind of went through why we do that. Are they, how do they start changing? Is it just through like awareness of that inner dialogue? Yeah, great question. So I want to give two different things that people can look at. And I think that either one of these two will be really helpful. I think the first thing is realizing that the reason that you beat yourself up is because you want to be better. And the reason you want to be better is because you believe that if you're better, you'll be loved and happy. And the reason you want to be loved and happy 
is because you love yourself. So this is actually coming from a really beautiful desire to be happy and to be loved. It's just being expressed in a really unhealthy way. So a question that I think people can start to ask themselves is, is this actually how I want to love myself? Because that's really what we're trying to do, right? And, and this is coming from someone who understands this more than anyone on the planet. Like I'd never met anyone in my life who was as hard on themselves as I was on me, right? I was so hard on myself because I just wanted to be better, right? I wanted people to love me and I wanted to be happy. And when I got that the goal wasn't to beat myself up and the goal wasn't even to be better, right? The goal was to be happy and to have a feeling of love for myself. And so getting really curious again is, is this how I want to love myself? No. If the goal is to be happy and feel love, is this working? No, it's not working. So how do I want to support myself? How do I want to nurture myself? How do I want, right, to get to the same goal, but in a different way? And so I think one really effective way to start to move out of this cycle of punishing ourselves and beating ourselves up is to really get that we don't beat ourselves up because we suck. We beat ourselves up as a really unhealthy expression of love that we're trying to motivate ourselves. And so you can literally just call it out and say, this doesn't work. So I'm beating myself up and to literally, you can say it out loud to stop and say, this isn't working. The way I'm trying to be better isn't working. This isn't working. Get curious again. What do I actually need? This isn't working. This isn't motivating me. This isn't getting me toward my goals. What is it that I actually need? And then stop and listen because that wisdom will come through. It will become very clear what you need and it will change. Again, this is not a belief now that the way that I support myself is by being gentle. Sometimes you might need a kick in the butt, right? But in this particular case, what do I need? And it's say, just sit for a minute, just slow down, right? The answer might be, I need to like get, I need to get out of the house. Like I just, I need to go for a walk, right? It might be, you need support. You need to call a friend. It might be, I need to journal, right? It might be, I need to move my body. So when you stop and say, this isn't working, right? Because your brain still thinks it's going to work. The reason we keep beating ourselves up is your brain thinks this is going to make you better. This is going to make yeah. you better. This, it's not going to make you better. Mm. I promise it's not going to make you better. Yeah. And the goal isn't to be better. The goal is to change your behavior. You're not going to change your behavior by crapping on yourself. So one way to do it is to get that this form of self-love is not working say out loud, this is not working. Say to yourself, this is not working. What is going to actually help me get toward my goal? And then pause and listen. That's a really, really effective tool, right? I almost mm. feel like I don't even want to give another one yet. Cause I'm like, I really want people to absorb that for a minute. Cause it's mm -hmm. just such a powerful tool. It but is. um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pause there and I'll save the other one. I'll find a way to bring it in later. Yeah. I, I think of it almost as like a, like shaming is kind of like a quick spark. Like it gives you this little kick in the butt, but then it just like fizzles out. It never really yeah. like, I'm going to, you know what? You suck. You're full of the blood. And you're like, yeah. I'm going to work out hard and kill ourselves. And then we're yeah. like, oh, all right, well. That's enough, you know, and then it like yeah. fizzles out. It doesn't yeah. give us that deep. And I think about, I mean, really what a great question to ask is like, if you, mot if you motivated yourself by like shaming and putting yourself down, what could be possible if you live, if you yeah. really took all that energy to lift yourself up? I mean, what could really yeah. be possible? Yeah. And I, there's something that just came up for me with what you said that I want to share with people that I think so often we think we have a motivation issue. There's no such thing as a motivation issue. We don't have a motivation issue. We either have a lack of belief in the outcome, a lack mm. of belief in ourself, right? Or a block. So they, there was a wonderful study that was done um, where they had two groups of people that did progressively harder tasks. And in group A, they were paid more as the tasks got more difficult. In group B, they were paid nothing. And the assumption was that group B wasn't getting paid. They would give up first. And what they found is it was the opposite. And during the debrief, what they found was group A at some point said, the amount of money I'm making is not worth it. I give up. 
Group B actually went until they were no longer able to complete the tasks. And what they reported was they were tapping into their internal motivation, their desire to solve the problems. It wasn't about right the money like it was in group A. They were tapping into their intrinsic motivation. And that was consistent with all of the research that has come out on early childhood you know, learning. That if you look at the fact that we walk, there's no such thing as a motivation issue. We fell, we crawled, we fell, we crawled, we fell, we crawled. And if we were the type of person who had no motivation, we would still be crawling today. Kids have internal motivation because humans have internal motivation. If you've ever seen a kid play with blocks and Legos, why do they spend an hour and a half building an entire universe and then walk away, take it apart and start over? Because we actually are intrinsically motivated. There's no such thing as a person who lacks motivation. What there is, there's a lack of belief in the outcome, which is the internal dialogue goes something like this. What's the point? I'm never going to get there anyway. Forget it. And then we give up. That's not a lack of motivation. That's a lack of belief in the outcome. A lack of belief in ourself goes something like this. I'm not capable. I failed so many times before. I'm again, I'm not disciplined enough. I can't do it. And then we give up. It's not because we lack motivation. It's because there's a lack of belief in ourselves, right? The blocks are often things like what we talked about with achieving. Like if I'm not achieving, I'm not worthwhile. And so now you want me to do this self-care practice. I can't afford to do that. And now we say we're not motivated, but it's not. Our motivation is just getting channeled to something else. So I think mm. it's really important that if our internal dialogue and what we're beating ourselves up with is something like you're not motivated, you don't have a motivation issue. There's a particular block that is preventing you from accessing your motivation. If you can get clear on what that is, you can start to work through that block because you do not have a motivation issue. Mm, that's really good because I think that with a lot of my clients, they're really afraid to step up. You know, when they first meet with me, they're like, I've realized it's my time. Like I've dedicated my lives to other people or to taking care of other people or to a business. And this is my time to finally take care of myself. But then when it comes time to actually stepping up and doing it, even if it's like, hey, all I'm asking is, you know, a walk today or all, there's still yeah. that resistance that comes up. And I think that maybe it is around that um, not ready to fully give up their productivity or, you know, what if I, what if I don't, what if I'm not achieving or they have a hard time putting themselves first. So what, yeah. what do you think that's about and how can we do that? Because some people are just really busy or they have a lot on their plate or they don't want to let their things go. Yeah. So I think one of the most helpful things we can do when it comes to mindset is not to focus on what we want, but to focus on the block to what we want. Because again, your prefrontal cortex already knows what you want. You don't need to build what you want. You know that you want to lose weight. You know you want to put mm. yourself first. You know you want to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. You know you want to do whatever it is. So don't worry about what you want. Ask yourself, if I'm not doing what I want to be doing, right? If my behavior, if my thoughts, my feelings, and my behavior are inconsistent with my goals, wants, and desires, what is the block? And once you find the block, now you know what you need to work with. So again, it's not that we don't know how to get what we want. We are blocked from what we want. So I'm going to mm -hmm. give some examples of places people get stuck. Beliefs I see pop up are things like, if I put myself first, it means I'm selfish mm -hmm. and people don't want to be selfish, right? If I put myself first, it means I'm a bad person or I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good spouse. I'm right. Or often what I see are things like, what makes me worthwhile is achieving. What makes me worthwhile is being successful. And so if we believe that again, that will impact our behavior. So I would ask yourself, like if you're, you know, let's say you're in the audience, you're listening to this podcast right now, I would just take a minute and just ask yourself, right? What is my block when I'm trying to do this thing? Let's say that you're trying to go for a walk, right? So you're working with Gina or you listen to Gina's podcast or you hear her in one of her brilliant places that she shows up in your life, right? And she's like, just take a walk. What is the first thing that pops into your head, right? Is it, I don't want to, is it, it's not <laughs> going to make a difference anyway, mm. right? Is it, I don't deserve to take a walk. Is it, I'm, I have too much to do. So mm. start to listen to the internal dialogue and instead of listening to it as good or bad, 
again, contextualize it. It's just helpful. It's just information, Mm. right? By listening to your internal dialogue, you're getting information and then you're using that information to find a limiting belief. And then when you find the limiting belief, now you're aware I'm holding this as truth, right? Going back to the beginning of our conversation, I'm holding this as truth. It lacks context. Let me recontextualize it, right? In the past, this belief made sense sometimes, but can I find places where this what this belief wasn't true in my past, right? Mm-hmm. Then that belief was sometimes true in my past. Can I see differences in my environment right now, in myself right now to where I was in the past? And so what you're doing is you're not saying the belief isn't true. You're just saying it was contextual. So again, let's say that in my childhood, I'll use a personal example, right? In my childhood, I had a sister who was very like hardcore. Like she wasn't emotional. She was very much like one of the guys. And if I was, you know, crying or sensitive, it was like, why are you so sensitive? Why are you so emotional? Right? Like, and and I felt weak. I felt stupid. I felt pathetic. I felt like, you know, being this like feminine person was bad. And throughout my whole life, I believed I was weak and it didn't matter how many mountains I climbed. It didn't matter if I didn't, right. It was like, I remember like, you know, my mom would talk about like my Ironman event and I was like, well, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And I wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like I was in the Olympics or something, but I was always looking at my life through the lens of I'm weak because I'm sensitive, right. I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm weak. And I couldn't change the story. And so it didn't matter how hardcore or bad badass I was, my lens was I'm weak because it felt like the truth, right? It was a belief. It was the truth. It lacked context. And when I realized how limiting this belief was in my life, I had to go back through my childhood and actually ask myself, where is the strength? Where can I find strength? And I'm like, wow, actually having emotions, I think made me a lot stronger and made me a lot more resilient. I felt so deeply like that actually created a lot of resilience inside of me. And then, oh, wow. And I was, I was really strong here and I was really strong there. And again, like I, I did do these really amazing athletic feats and I was strong here and I was strong here. And now all of a sudden weak can still be a part of the story. It's not, I was never weak and I'm strong all the time and I'm the strongest person in the world. There is conversation, right, of weakness and strength flowing in and out of each other through my life. I don't need to push away weak. I just need to balance it with a story of strong. And now in my life, I get to hold both of those energies and feel into the weak when it serves me and feel into the strong when it serves me. And that impacts my relationship with food, my relationship with health, because my story now, right, in my own personal journey, I realized that I was too strict with myself my whole life. Like my relationship with food was so strict and I wanted to be able to feel into the energy of weakness, not just the energy of strength and to really give myself weakness in a positive way to give myself comfort and to feel like a warm stew, right? Instead <laughs> of being like, you need to just eat like vegetables all the time, right? Cause it's like, if it's cold out or if I'm sick, like the energy of, of comfort and warmth isn't about being strong. And so just allowing both of those energies to play a role in my life. So that's an example Mm -hmm. of how we can take a belief, right? That is really one-sided, bring in that opposite energy and then allow both of those energies to play a role in your life. It doesn't have to be, and then I got rid of, I'm not good enough. And now I'm good enough all the time. Cause that's just another hammer to beat ourselves with. Right. So what does that look like then? Because I think that a lot of people will start to hear and they're like, yeah, you're right. I have that fear of if I start putting myself first, that means I am selfish. Or if I put myself first, that means that my goals or the things that I have to get done are put on the back burner. And that's just truth. They're going to be put on the back burner. And I feel that fear of maybe I'm not worthy or I actually do have bills to pay and I have things to get done. How do you balance that? Yeah. So I think what drives that belief is the belief that it's either one or the other. So you've had black and white thinking your entire life and it's either I do my health or I'm successful in business, or it's either I put myself first or I put myself last. So it's just a black and white thinking that it's either one way or the other. And so I think where we start to create a lot of change in our behavior is when we leave room for multiple things to be true at the same time, that I can be selfish and selfless. 
play with both of those energies, right? Just like I had to play with strong and weak. What if you were to play with the energies of selfless and selfish that in certain moments, yes, I absolutely am selfish in these moments. And in other moments, I'm the most selfless person in the world. I'm not selfish or selfless. I'm both in different moments when the context calls for it. We live in a contextual world. Being selfish in certain contexts is valuable. Being selfless in other contexts is valuable, right? It's the idea of put your mask on yourself before you put it on someone else, right? That you might need to put the mask on yourself first and be selfish in those moments. But then if you're, you know, sitting and reading a book and a friend calls and they're like, hey, I really need you. And you're like, well, I'm selfish. That might not be great in that moment be selfless, right? In another moment, be selfish. It's it's managing both. You don't have to be one or the other. The same thing, like it's either health or it's work. Mm. Well, if you go, you know, balls to the wall, health only, forget everything, that's probably a really unhealthy way to go about your health. It's the same thing if you do that with work. So we say in any given moment, I can contextually decide, should I go for a walk? Or really do this thing needs to get done, right? In this moment, if I'm honest with myself, if this thing doesn't get done in work in this moment, will it actually threaten my success? And if the answer is yes, do the thing and go for a walk later, right? Mm-hmm. But if the answer is no, it can wait, go for a walk and then go back to your computer. You say, mm-hmm. I don't have, you know, a th- three hours to do a lunch break. Okay, well then, you know, maybe make a choice to eat a salad or maybe make a choice to do some meal prep on Sunday. But I think the idea is we're so used to saying you can't have it all. And I think Mm. that's a really unhealthy come from. You can have it all, but you can have it all proportionally and contextually. You can't have all of it all the time in every proportion, but you can have it all proportionally and contextually. And I think that's how we start to really move past these beliefs that it's only one or the other. Okay. Okay. So how does that show up with people who are the achievers and now all of a sudden they believe that they're worthy of taking care of themselves? I guess, is it just getting rid of the black and white that just trusting that everything won't fall apart? How do you like rationalize that or how, what types of shifts do you see with people when they start, when they start putting themselves first and taking care of their health and Yeah. So um, as I want to kind of throw this out there before I go deeper into it, but the thing that's really actually interesting is what I find with clients all the time is once they start prioritizing themselves and putting themselves first, they actually become more successful, not less successful because they start to focus on efficiency versus output. Often my achievers and accomplishers are focused on output because they believe it's the output that will make them successful. But the reality is it's actually being in our genius zone that is where we find exponential growth rather than linear growth. So when you start prioritizing yourself, what happens is, right, the law of constraints, you now have less time for output. So you start to get curious on what are the highest priority things? Where is my genius zone? What are the things I'm best at? How can I be more efficient? And when you focus on efficiency and out and um, your, your kind of genius, the things that you're uniquely really, really good at, the things that are the easiest for you, that are harder for other people, our efficiency goes up and the like the need to work hard and do all the things the need to grind. So often we're filling our time with things that aren't actually that important. We just do it because we believe that being busy again, gives us worth being productive, gives us worth. So we actually become more successful when we shift these beliefs because we start to focus on efficiency. We start delegating, we start dropping the projects that aren't necessary and focusing on the things that are going to make the biggest difference. So that's just kind of a thing I wanted to throw out there that I think is you know really yeah. important for the achievers to hear. But I think the mm-hmm. other thing that's really important is if we're focusing on, right, again, like that my worth is about achieving and I need to, right, like I need to self-care, but do I deserve that? we can start small. It's not that you say I am worthy of taking care of myself all the time. And I'm the most important person. And I love myself fully, right? Like that's kind of an unrealistic jump, I think for most people. So it's starting to slow down and say, okay, I still have achieving as my tool in the toolkit. It's not that I say, I'm not going to do that anymore, but what does it feel like to bring in another energy that I'm playing with? And again, it's do both. So this is kind of another example of what I was just talking about with both. Like I can play with achieving and play with self-care. I don't have to put down achieving, right? I don't have to put down 
getting a feeling of worthiness from being successful. I just need to be curious of, can I also find worthiness in taking care of myself? Can I also find worthiness in slowing down? So it's being able to hold multiple energies at the same time. And I think that when we get in this black and white thinking, we lose access to this. So I would say like one of the biggest takeaways, like of, of all of the things, one of the biggest takeaways is understanding that black and white thinking is what prevents us from seeing other possibilities. So the goal is not to say I did this and now I don't do it anymore. It's saying I do this and now I balance it with other things, mm. right? I balance it with other things. And that's a really good way to start to create a sense of empowerment over our behavior. Mm. Do you think that sometimes, I, I remember you mentioning to me that sometimes people don't even realize that they're doing this because it's like their unconscious mind is like deeper thinking like, you're not worthy of this. You know, you're not worthy of self-care or yeah. you need to be deeper motivated. Like, almost more like survival where your conscious mind is like, I want to be healthy. And then you're in this like internal tug of war. So I would imagine that sometimes that might not even be in our awareness of like, oh, am I making black or white out of this? But there's just kind of that unconscious inner tug of war that we don't even know why. Yeah. I would say, I would say most of the time our beliefs are subconscious. I think it's actually very rare that people are actually truly aware of those subconscious belief systems. And so what you said, I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head that we have these completely unconscious belief systems that determine how we think, feel, and behave. And then our conscious mind is totally unaware of it. And our conscious mind is like, but I wanted all these things, right? Why am I not getting them? And I think this is this is where stuff like the law of attraction can be so frustrating for people. They're like, I thought that if I focus on what I want, I'll have it. But the problem is you're in conflict. And so your thoughts and feelings and behavior are literally telling you that this thing that you want is either not okay, not safe, you don't deserve it. And so your behavior is out of alignment. And I think that what's missing from this story that it's like, you think it and then it falls into your lap. It's like, no, if you think it, and then you think, feel, and behave consistently with that, that's when you notice things change. An example that I've thought of before that like, it just, for me really kind of embodies this is if you want, right, let's say that you want a a job and you're like, okay, there's this job that I really, really want. And you're like, I'm going to like focus on it and think about it. And I'm like going to believe in it. But if deep down you believe, like if I make a mistake or fail, I'll be rejected and I'm not good enough and I'm a failure. And then you apply for a job and you don't get it. You're going to be like, see, this is evidence subconsciously. This is evidence. I give up and that's it. And now you don't have the job, right? So it's not that you weren't thinking it hard enough. It's that your behavior got in the way. In contrast, if you say, I really want this job and I'm committed to getting a job that I love and I'm aware of these negative beliefs, I'm aware of them but they're not the truth. They're just certain ways that I feel. And then you still apply for the job and you still get rejected. You're like, these are just my beliefs getting in the way. I'm not going to let my beliefs get in the way. I'm going to keep applying. Now you keep applying for jobs. You ultimately get a job. So it's not that it falls out of the sky and it happens the first time. It's the same thing with food, right? This idea of falling off the wagon. If you're like, these are just these beliefs and you can do some of the things that we talked about right throughout our conversation and start to shift your mindset around it. Well, now it's, you know what? I ate a piece of cake. It's just a piece of cake. I'm not going to let the cake determine the rest of my life, right? I'm committed to this. I'm going to do all these things that, you know, I learned from Brit and Gina's conversation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, now no big deal. You had a piece of cake, you move on with your life, right? That's the difference. And so Mm. it is, it is subconscious, but when you bring the subconscious into the conscious, it doesn't run your life behind the curtains. Mm, That's amazing. That's really, that's really amazing. It makes you realize that all of this is not about whether you are able to do something or not. It's, are you able to bring to the front of your mind? What are your limitations that you believe to be true? And can you change them so that you can keep moving forward? It's, It's like a, it's just a, it's just a you versus your own mind and safety mechanisms. Right. And that's it. And not what you can or cannot do. Yeah. It's, it's not like, can I 100% of the time get it right every time? Right. Right. It's, can I fall 
and then have a mindset that allows me to pick myself back up and keep going, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're always walking in a direction. But if we're walking toward the direction of I suck and I'm a failure, right now we wake up one morning, we're like, why haven't I done all these things? It's like, well, where were you walking? Like what direction were you walking? And you're walking in whatever direction your mind tells you to walk in. And so it it really is, it's, it's, it's so often a fight between us and our own mind. And when we can get, it doesn't need to be a fight. It doesn't need to be a fight. They're just beliefs. They're not Mm. true. They're just beliefs. That's okay. It's okay that you have the belief that I'm not good enough. It's okay that you have the belief that, you know, what makes me worthwhile is achieving. It's okay that you have the belief I'm weak. It's okay that you have the belief I'm lazy. It's okay to have those beliefs. Just go into your past, look for data points of those beliefs not being true, create a different story, right? And then use that energy to create a different identity in the moment. Not I'm weak or strong, not a black and white, but I'm all of it. In different contexts, you will find different parts of me. I'm a very nonviolent person, right? I'm a very loving, kind person. And if someone had a knife to my husband, I would attack them. It's not even a question, right? That's not who I am in general, right? Like when my clients come in, I'm not like standing there with a knife, right? Like I'm the the biggest killer. I'm I'm like, I have the biggest heart of anyone I've ever met in my life. And right. If I needed to protect or defend someone I love, I don't know what type of tiger would come out of me. Right. And it's like, I am again, like I can be both. If I have someone who needs gentleness and softness, I can be the most gentle person in the world. Mm -hmm. But when I'm mountaineering or like I'm in a Canyon, I'm not being gentle so much as I'm, you know, like I'm vigilant, I'm focused, I'm paying attention. Like we all have all of it within us. And we have these beliefs that this is who I am. And what we miss is we have the, the capacity to be anything right? We have the capacity to be all of the things. And so instead of choosing one or the other, if we open up space to say, I am all of the things, how can I support myself in tapping into the parts of myself that are most helpful within different contexts and understanding that the way that I treat myself, who I surround myself with, the way that I structure my day, that will support me in tapping into different parts of myself because I'm not one or the other. I'm all of it. Mic drop. (laughs) <laughs> I love when you just like drop in and get into your flow and you, and then I'm like, yes, yes. When you, when you get into those, when into those moments, cause it's a, it is really amazing. So this has been incredible. I think that just these concepts can open up to possibility, right? Like it just gives us hope that something that I'm not confined to these limitations of I am this, I am lazier. Yeah. I struggle and that there's so much freedom when we can lift those beliefs that are all just an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like we invest in our career. We invest in our relationship. We invest in our health. But so often we don't invest in our mindset, right? It's just such mm-hmm. an important thing. And like whether you take some time by journaling and getting curious about your beliefs, whether you do the five-minute meditation or maybe you're on your walk. And you kill two birds with one stone and you think a little bit about your mindset, like just to invest just a little bit in it. And I think it's, it's just so overlooked. Like mindset is the difference between pleasant and unpleasant, miserable and happy. Like think about, you know, a time in your life, you could be at the most beautiful, you know, sunset in the world. And if you're thinking about everything you ate that day and how you failed, you're not enjoying the sunset. Mindset is the difference between enjoying the sunset and not. And in contrast, you know, you could be in a jail cell. And if you're thinking about, you know, a moment in your life that was special and beautiful and brings you unbelievable joy, you can tap into that joy. Like the thing that creates our emotions is not the external, it's our internal, our mindset creates our emotions and our emotions create our experience. And so we put so much on, let me do the thing so I can feel how I want to feel. It doesn't work like that. It's let me feel how I want to feel so I can enjoy my life, so I can do the things. It starts with the feelings and then we do the life. The idea that when you're successful, you're going to be proud of yourself. How many times have you hit the mark that you said you wanted, not celebrated, not been proud of yourself, steamrolled yourself and moved on. The idea Mm. that we are all of a sudden going to let the external make us happy is crazy. When I get in the relationship, I'll be happy. And then you get in a relationship, you're fighting with your partner. You're not happy. I'll be happy when, right? When comes and we steamroll ourselves. So it's like, stop waiting for the thing, focus on the mindset now, because the mindset will give you the happiness to enjoy the things you already have and the motivation to get more of what you want, right? It gives you both. You can have both. I think that's just so, so overlooked by people. Yeah. That's amazing. Is there anything else you want to wrap up with? 
Brett? Um, anything else I want to wrap up? Do you want to leave with um, the, any yeah, last little words of wisdom yeah. you want to leave? Yeah, I, I kind of actually just want to put an exclamation point on a couple of things that, you know, I, I think might be forgotten. The first one is that everything is self-love and disguise to remember we don't beat ourselves up because we hate ourselves. We beat ourselves up because we love ourselves. Find a healthier way to love mm. yourself, right? Find a healthier way to love yourself because that's really what you want. And the second one is this is not just the way you are. Our identity is very much driven by our beliefs. And when we can see that our beliefs are just one possibility and that there's a lot more to the story, we empower ourselves to actually shift our identity and how we show up. So as soon as you say, this is just the way I am, no, this is the way that you've been given the way you've thought about things. And when you think about things differently, you have space to show up differently and to tap into different qualities and different parts of yourself that you might've kind of lost touch with or lost access to. So I would just say like really stuckness is a mindset. And so instead of saying, I'm just stuck, it's, oh, I'm stuck. I'm creating this stuckness. What can I do to shift that stuckness so I can experience myself differently? So it's, I really just encourage anybody if they ever get stuck, like it's not, it's not something that happens to you. It's something you've created. And so create something different because, you know, that's, that's really where our power in this life lies. Mm, that's so beautiful. And you do a few things too. I know you, you have private, private clients that you work with. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with you a few times, massively blew my mind, probably one of the top peak life experiences I've had from, (laughs) I was like, Brett, I feel like I just like after I'm like, I don't even want to say it, but I'm like, It's like mind blown because I think that you actually, you, you sell yourself short on, on, um, on really the power of what you do and how you can really help people create the safety to go into their unconscious mind and pull out these beliefs that I didn't even know is there and have this just masterful experience of like changing these unconscious beliefs. So then behavior just naturally changes and shifts itself. It's so amazing. So I know you do a lot of work with private clients and you have a a coaching group. Do you want to share a little bit about what, what you are up to? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like you said, I mean, it, it really does change your life. Like it, it is mind blowing. It's really incredible mm-hmm. what becomes possible when we're not in our own way. It's like, we're so neuroplastic, but we don't know how to utilize the neuroplastic nature of our brain. And if you think about how much of our brain we're not using, right, when you can really optimize your mindset, like it does, it just the entire world, everything becomes possible. It's, it's really exciting and it's fun. It is. It's blast. So I do one-on-one coaching. Um, that's a really great way. If you want to like actually shift all of these belief systems, that would be a, a really great way to do it. Um, if you're not in a financial position to do one-on-one, I also have my mindset group. Um, that's something where we do kind of work together as a group to work through some of these different types of mindset blocks. Um, but if you're interested, I would say like definitely book a call and, and see, you know, kind of what's right for you. Um, I have a couple slots open right now. I just had some people graduate. So um, I would love to take on a couple more one-on-ones or I'd love to have people join my mindset group. My website is just brittlefko.com. It's B-R-I-T-T-L-E-F as in Frankfurt, K-O-E, uh, brittlefko.com. And so you can book a call there. You can learn more about the mindset group or sign up for one-on-one coaching, whatever kind of, whatever feels right for you. Awesome. I'll put the links to in the show notes and you guys can explore what she does and well, thank you so much, Britt. This is thank just you, amazing. I, Expanding the mind. I love it. I always love our conversations. I really do too. I just appreciate being able to mm-hmm. share with your audience today. And I, I hope to hear from some people and it's always great, Gina. All right, everybody. We'll catch you next time.